Welcome to Documentary Diehards, the show where three sports fans break down one 30 for 30 documentary each and every episode. Sam Anderson, Nicholas Rudolph, Ren Clayton. Uh, guys, how's it going? Going well. Not too bad, Ren. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, we're going to review a documentary about college basketball. So I know Rudy's excited about that. Are you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're getting close to March Madness, guys. I know. Well, when is, when is selection? day that's gotta be uh, i just heard it a couple days ago they were like like two weeks, from, three now. weeks from now i forget yeah but it's coming up here i was just at the introductory i guess you could call it press conference. Third, yeah. yeah for the for the women's final four which is here in minneapolis so that'll be oh fun. yeah uh beginning of april yeah are you gonna get to go to that um i think i should be able to go to at least one of the games or maybe one of the days. So it's on April 1st and April 3rd, the final four and then the championship game here at Target Center. So pretty exciting. It is. But let's talk about a Requiem for the Big East, which is our 30 for 30 that we were reviewing today. Um, it came out in March, fittingly, of 2014, um, directed by Ezra Edelman. And it focuses on kind of the creation and success and um, struggle and um, end of the Big East Conference, Big East Basketball Conference, basically. Um, And this took place, uh, it was created in the 70s, I believe, went into the 80s and was um, quickly a a very popular basketball, men's basketball, I guess women's too, but this focused on men's basketball conference in the Northeast region, basically New York, Boston, Philly, surrounding areas. Um, so yeah, I don't have a ton on on the recap. It just kind of centers around the guy that created uh, this conference, some of the rivalries, the characters, and and what made it basically so successful, so incredibly fast. Um, you know, the teams in it: Georgetown, Villanova, um, St. John's, were teams that uh, went to the deep into the tournament right away almost Syracuse also um and before they had been independent teams so it was like this filling this need for this region of college men's basketball um it, you know some of the guy Patrick Ewing was a was a big fixture in this documentary there were so many good basketball players in that area that previously had been going to the the west coast or wherever it was to SEC to go play college basketball and now they were staying in the big east um, and then it talks about kind of the struggles of it, how college football played a role in, in it kind of dying out. Um, the money became a factor. Um, the TV deals were a big um, discussion and how that was successful and then struggled. And so it basically Requiem, which I looked up the, the uh, actual dictionary definition of Requiem, because I didn't know if I actually knew what it meant. There's a few definitions, but the one that fits here is it's uh, an act or token of rem- remembrance. And so basically that's what this is. This is like an ode to the Big East conference. Um, something that I, before I, I go to you guys that I want to just lay out, which I was a little confused by at first was the Big East still exists, but it's, it's basically just in name only. It's, it's, uh, it died out at the end of this documentary as we will cover and then the naming rights were given to a different uh, conference that's basically for like these private schools, which which some of these schools that 
were in the original Big East are still in, but many are, are not, like Syracuse, BC, and other things like that. Um, the Big East, what what is the AAC? Uh, that it kind of turned into the AAC. Yeah, yeah. And so everything kind of got jumbled, but um, that's basically kind of how this went. It talked about just kind of all the personalities and drama and rise and fall of this conference. Nick, we'll start with you since you're the college basketball aficionado. Um, did this fill a, a fill in some fill in some gaps for you as far as your fandom? Yeah, I mean, you know, I loved it. Um, loved or learning about the Big East. A lot of um, you know, like big uh, coaches. Uh, were very prevalent within this Big East. That was a lot of uh, what they talked about in this documentary, that the coaches were all so charismatic. They had their own personalities. Um, they were able to uh, draw more interest um, into the league as well. And so they were all, like, had their different personalities. It wasn't that they were all, you know, um, like crazy um, or, like, really – well, most of them, I guess, were outspoken, but uh, that's just what a coach is. But, uh, you know, like you had, you know, John Thompson, who was the tall, um, authoritative figure. You had um, Jim Beheim, who was the whiner, I guess, uh, because once you whine once, you're always a whiner, as he would say. Um, and, and a lot of other coaches, um, like St. John's coach, uh, Villanova, um, like a lot of coaches that I've heard of or I've seen, but I never saw like when they were coached, they were just, you know, now they're a legend or even Bill Rafferty with uh, Seton Hall. Um, so seeing a lot of guys that, you know, maybe I've seen on TV um, and, and that was kind of cool to see, you know, them in their heyday and, and learn about how the Big East uh, became the Big East and why it was always held in such great prestige. Um, when I hear the Big East, I always think of uh, Kemba Walker's step back uh, against Pittsburgh. And, and so I was hoping that there was going to be some, uh, you know, picture or video of that. But I don't think I, that there was anything included in it. But, um, you know, the Big East was more than that. But that's just the most uh, memorable uh, uh, memory that comes to mind when I think of the Big East, at least. So, um, but I thought it was fun um, learning about how they constructed it, how they grew in fame, what all had to go right just to get, um, you know, get fame and to get this uh, on the ground running and, and how quickly it was running. I mean, they had a national champion within five years, I think. So just uh, pretty insane as far as that goes and um, a fun trip down memory lane for me. I agree to a certain point. I didn't like it as much as you did, um, which I guess isn't surprising, but it was fun to see like how needed a conference like this was and how successful it became so quickly. And that was for many reasons. One, great basketball. I, I thought it was really fun to see the style of basketball that the Big East played and just like they were rough and tough, the roughest conference in the, the country. Uh, that was mentioned many times. That was one of my favorite parts of the doc is just watching old videos of Patrick Ewing, you know, throwing punches and elbows and all that stuff. Um, so that's one of the reasons. Another reason, just like you, you were saying, you, both of you said, uh, the coaches were just awesome personalities and um, they, they kind of grew up with the conference and became big with the conference. And so um, that was an aspect I definitely enjoyed as well. I, I thought it was super long. I don't think it needed to be that long. I know they went over a lot of history and 
did a good job of explaining it all, but I just felt um, it definitely dragged on at points, like an, an hour and 43 minutes. Usually these are 50 some minutes and I just thought it was, it was far too long. Um, I also just wanted to, one, I wanted to get Rudy's opinion because he, he loves college basketball so much, but I also wanted to see what Ren had to say about the production of it and just your thoughts on, on it overall. I can't quite put my finger on what I didn't like about the production, um, but it, it wasn't my favorite. So I just wanted to see what Ren had to say about that. I, I'm probably similar to what you're thinking, Sam, is there were some things I didn't like about it. There was nothing super glaring like there has been for other documentaries. Um, I did think it was long as well, um, though I, I was pretty interested throughout more than I thought I would be for, I think it was an hour and 45. Um, the biggest thing about the, the biggest production choice that I kind of questioned was, you know, they, they wove between this last game between Georgetown and, and Syracuse um, in 2013 or 14, when Syracuse was about to leave the Big East. Um, and they wove, they bounced forward to that, and then they went back to the, the entire rest of, of the documentary in the past, farther and talking about Syracuse and Georgetown's rivalry games in the past. And that was interesting, except for they didn't, they kind of, I feel like they deceived us a little bit in that they, they didn't really tell us the whole situation. They, like they kind of presented it almost as the, as the Big East Conference, Conference Championship, which it wasn't. Um, and it was kind of just more of a thematic choice. At the end, they, they showed that game and it ending Syracuse, I think won. And then uh, just a whole bunch of them cleaning out the Madison Square Garden and tearing apart the floor, like, like the Madison Square Garden was was going to be done being played basketball playing having hosting basketball games which wasn't the case so there were some like like stylistic choices that were kind of weird um i did like a lot of the other kind of format and structure um though there were some things that they just kind of seemed to leave out like i said before the the ending i feel like the ending should have included how it transitioned into the American Athletic Conference. They didn't mention that at all. I had to look that up. Um, so how did this conference die? We don't even know. So like the whole requiem for it um, didn't even completely tell us. So that was one of my biggest issues. Um, I really did like like the whole Georgetown and all the characters that they showed, the Georgetown Syracuse, I should say. I thought like Georgetown basketball maybe could have had its own documentary. That, there was so much drama and Patrick Ewing and just uh, there's so many characters. Um, that's all I'll say about the production, except for that is Mike does White, Michael Wilbon have to be in every like documentary 30 for 30 that we watch. I, I think it's a rule at this point if it mentions basketball. And yeah, and I've probably said this before in the doc in the our podcast, but each time it has one of his seven titles underneath it because he's worked for so many papers and has like so this time it was Washington Post but back when we're doing one about Michael Jordan he was like this Chicago guy like he's an LA guy too like he claims it everywhere so but anyway um yeah Nick what did you think about just kind of some of the basketball stuff that that like the, the Patrick Ewing the the um the players that we had known of, but maybe didn't know them in this exact context, the Patrick or uh, Chris Mullen and things like that. 
Yeah, I thought that that was, um, you know, obviously interesting to me. Um, I would, first of all, I would agree with you, Ren. I felt like it was kind of misleading. Uh, it was like, this was going to be the biggest game uh, between Georgia Town and Syracuse to end it. And like, I'm, I'm trying to like rack through my brain and like that definitely wasn't the case. And just thought it was, you know, kind of weird how they, um, I guess, focused on those two teams. I don't know if they had the biggest like rivalry. I mean, maybe way back when, but um, I wouldn't say so, you know, when they ended from my perspective, at least, or from what I remember. So that was kind of interesting. And it also like, wasn't it turned since Syracuse won, it wasn't their last game in the East. So right. it's almost like they chose this one game to go to and they were going to force the narrative. No matter what. Yeah. It was like, they had a due deadline or a due dates on the deadline of this doc. And they're like, well, this is going to be the last one. Uh, once we produce it, so we're just gonna go with it. I don't know, it was just kind of weird. I think when um, you look rivalries, um, like best rivalries, I you see Syracuse and Georgetown quite a bit, like they're up there. With that. That's yeah, now that you mentioned that, that's and Cardinals and stuff. Like it's, it's, yeah, I think it is one of the biggest, you know, besides North Carolina and Duke, I can't really think of bigger ones in the NCAA, at least in my opinion. It's probably bigger than I give it credit for. I, I guess I'm just, you know, basing off of Georgetown not being that great recently. But anyways, yeah, you're right about that. They filled that gap, right, of the New York kids, like, that that were leaving, and now they were at this place. And it seemed like maybe some of the best basketball players because these teams were so good right away. Yeah, and I, and I think that, you know, that still stems into – like, you know, the talent that New York City has, um, you know, to this day, I mean, uh, there's uh, lots of underground talent, if you call it that, but just, you know, within the city and um, like a lot of talent from playing on the streets, like uh, what Chris Mullen said and um, Ed Pickney, um, you know, had, had alluded to. Um, when they specifically talked about Patrick Ewing, I thought back to the um, MJ um uh, autobiography that I know Sam's also read, but just uh, when they were talking about um, Patrick Ewing's recruitment and how he almost teamed up with MJ uh, to go to North Carolina. And really the only reason, at least to this autobiography, what it says, um, or I guess biography, um, but the only reason was just because the KKK uh, presence in North Carolina scared Patrick Ewing away from going down there. So to think that if he would have gone to North Carolina, one, that would have been a sick North Carolina team. But two, um, like what would the Big East be nowadays? Or would it have ever gained that supremacy? Which was really cool to look at it from that perspective, knowing that fact. And then how big of an, uh, like, I mean, Patrick Ewing should be labeled the, maybe not the godfather, but the godfather junior of the big east because of what what a big impact he had on it for the time that he was with georgiatown yeah they were saying like they were so the higher ups in the conference were like we got patrick ewing um when he committed and they were just like so excited because they knew what this this meant for their still rising conference and it was fun to um see this and see him and his dominance in college because i've been listening to a lot of just like nba history stuff recently and a lot of the time when Patrick Ewing is talked about as a Nick, he's talked about as a failure, as a person who never got the job done with the Knicks. And so it's cool to see him in a, a different light, you know, as, as the man in college basketball and he did get the job done and came close another time. Right. 
what did we think about the whole ESPN thing? Like how it coincided with ESPN's growth and help they kind of mutually helped each other grow. Uh, like ESPN did this Big East Monday or something where they just showed Big East games. It's kind of crazy to think of a time when ESPN, you know, would air basically anything was just a begging conferences and stuff to be able to put their their stuff yeah. on on the screen yeah what do, what do they show like taekwondo or, or like hitting blocks on or stomping blocks or something like that? like some you know kind of gimmicky karate thing mm -hmm. yeah i mean you think about you know perfect timing for um you know for that uh conference to start and making that tv deal there and then getting the huge stadiums to go play in i mean that rings through till today i mean the carrier dome with syracuse um villanova playing at the philadelphia's uh, 76ers um sports arena um like a lot of those uh you know places they play in those big arenas which i i wonder how they convince that area to really allow that or i, I wonder what that structure is like nowadays too um but yeah i think it was very interesting i looked um or i kind of wrote down just like all the things that had to go right, you know, just for the Big East to, you know, succeed. And it's just kind of crazy to look through that and uh, throughout the doc. I mean, it's perfect time with ESPN. You had to have the visionary um, that all of his things, at least from the doc's perspective, like all of it was a home run and just worked perfectly. So, yeah. yeah. It's also funny that uh, he went from, or ESPN was one of the reasons why the Big East got huge in the first place. And it was also kind of like the downfall at the end when, you know, they offered, what was it, like $1.3 for the rights to all the Big East games. And then um, the Big East was getting greedy and we're like, they turned it down because they saw that the Pac-10 had just gotten $3 billion or something from a different network. And so um, – they decided to pass on it. And because of that, schools started to leave. And so it was like ESPN not only was part of the success, but part of the failure in the end too. Yeah, I mean, it just makes you think about how much, you know, money just affects everything. And and like, I don't know. It just, I mean, it was definitely a bummer. And it, But it, do we think, I, I'll ask you guys this, do we think that it could have had a much longer life I guess is what I'm trying to say, just like any of these conferences, could it have become a Big Ten SEC that is just going strong? Could it have joined up with football and, you know, just been, become a, another one of these these power fives? Um, because it was so perfect, it seemed like, when it was going strong, but that was for, you know, five, six, seven years. Um, it's had such a short lifespan, in, you know, relative to everything else. So, so Sam, what do you think? First of all, I mean, like, was this just like a flash in the pan that didn't have a the longevity? Um, it's it's tough to say, right? Because they they talked about how one of the failures was what they started to bring in bigger schools and grow too fast, and those schools happened to be really successful in football at the same time. Miami, um, Virginia Tech, who else? There's a couple others. Boston College. Um, and because they were bringing in so much revenue, but then having to split it, um, they eventually wanted to leave. And so it, it makes me wonder because there are schools in like the big 10, Ohio state, Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, for Rudy's sake, that are like, you know, bring in tons of revenue and have to split it with 
teams like Rutgers and stuff, but I, it's just weird how they can still make it happen today. But back then it, it didn't work. Yeah. I think that the level between like, you know, a Rutgers Northwestern to Ohio state um, is a, you know, very much different than Villanova where, you know, to present day, at least Villanova is like a one double a school um, or, or Butler who is, you know, uh, wasn't um, or is in the big East now, I think. Um, so, I, you know, that trajectory obviously could have changed a lot with like a conference like this going on. Ultimately, I feel like now what we're seeing more than ever is that conferences are totally in or totally controlled by football. And uh, in the doc kind of touched on that. I mean, their, their point was uh, football makes three times the amount of money as basketball. When you think of how much money basketball programs, you know, pull in that those numbers were, you know, the stock was made in 2014, I think. So, um, you know, that could be, you know, six years, uh, well, I guess eight years old by now um some of those stats uh but i feel like it's probably you know the same if not more um you know siding towards football which is just insane because if you think of you know how much march madness uh publicity that is but um so the fact that the big east was set up based off of basketball it you know they were gonna not make as much money as you know a big 10 sec um, you know, some of the bigger schools and, and if they were fine with that, I mean, that's fine. Uh, they probably could have made it, but it's kind of like the documentary said, once you start making a lot of money, uh, there's always more money to be made and you want to make more of it. So, um, I, I think that, you know, that the basketball or the big East longevity was just tied to whether or not basketball was going to be that, uh, revenue producing sport versus football or not. It just seems like, What's frustrating is it seems so special for, you know, when, it's, when it was successful and, and then it kind of quickly seemingly uh, was not special anymore. And it was just another, another conference, another big organization. And maybe that's how this, how it had to be. Yeah, who knows? Um, yeah. I'm, I'm almost out of notes here. I do want to say that, you know, they're talking about the Georgetown gear and, you know, Georgetown is the, the rough and tumble, you know, physical team. It reminded me of, you know, the Raiders. Remember when Raiders gear was like the tough gear to wear in one of these documentaries that we did? It was like the... Right out of LA, right? Yeah. It was I actually cool had this gear to wear. next thought, Ren. Mm. That's funny. Yeah, it was like, it made me want to buy it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, like, they also referenced like a hip-hop culture and stuff and how that was starting to form like right at the same time that Georgetown was getting big and it must have coincided really well with the LA Raiders too. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could say like that was New York hip hop and the other one was LA, like the West coast uh, rap. So, um, but yeah, I, uh, do we want to get to a rating? Let's do it. You start this time, Ren. Okay. Um, I, I, well, I'll give you my rating <laughs> 6.4 sweaters uh sweaters because we forgot to mention or we haven't mentioned the anecdote where you know one of the guy one of the coaches had a lucky sweater that was really weird looking and this pattern and then and then the georgetown coach wore it when they played each other and it's this this hilarious thing and just kind of in indicative of the the kind of drama and and 
antics that were going on with these really popular charismatic coaches like, like Nick mentioned, but 6.4 because um, I did like it. I did think it was long. I, I did think they waxed very poetic a little too much sometimes and, and kind of how flowery it was. And, and it did deserve to be, you know, very reverential, but maybe this was a little over the top. Um, but yeah, no, I liked a lot of the stuff about it. I, I, I probably knew the least amount of the intricacies of this, of these storylines uh, of the three of us. And so I loved getting to know more about Patrick Ewing and Chris Mullen and, and just these rivalries, especially like the Syracuse Georgetown rivalry. Um, that, that's one that you should probably know. Uh, you should have a, at least a small understanding of as a, as a sports fan in the USA. So 6.4, how about you? Sam, we'll lead up to me. All right. Um, couldn't, couldn't agree more with what you said. Um, I, I liked it. I learned a good amount from it. But like I was saying before, it was just something through the production. And I think it had to do with, you know, kind of flipping back and forth and focusing on a game that really wasn't that important um, at the end of the Big East tournament um, and the end of the Big East conference in general, kind of. And then going back to how it, how it started and, and all of that stuff. And I, I, I think it was a, a good idea. I just don't know if it was executed super well. Um, this documentary had so much in it and it, it was very long, but I think it could be split up into multiple documentaries. Um, you know, like one of you said, I, Georgetown could have their own documentary. Patrick Ewing could be the star of his own. Um, and yeah, probably, you know, they could probably have one just on the coaches and, and everything that they did because they were so influential and pr- seemed pretty, pretty cool guys. Um, so I'm going to give this one. I went with the same rating as you, Ren. I want 5.97 ugly sweaters. In the fives for ever optimistic, Sam. This is, uh, this is a dark day. Rudy, <laughs> what do you got? Raise up the average. Oh, I'll raise that up. I'm going to give a 7.9. I was up in the nine range, just loving this documentary, probably through 75 minutes. And then it just kind of kept tailing off. I felt like it was, I was really captivated by the history, by the coaches, by the storylines, you know, the Syracuse um, Georgetown rivalry, or at least like the recent game, or I just kind of ignored that. So that didn't bother me as much, I guess. And so I don't know if that was just because I didn't remember a significant game that they're like the game that they were referencing that that was significant enough or, or what, but I just kind of ignored that. Um, so that didn't, I guess, uh, downgrade the rating too much for me, but I just felt like it got really long, um, tried to just fit too much in at the end and it just got a little monotonous, but I was captivated by like the history um, how they started it, uh, what elements went into it, um, how they tried to get people in bigger stadiums and in, in football stadiums. Um, you know, all of those storylines, I just loved that aspect of it. But um, just because it got long and um, just what we've talked about, um, 7.9, and I'm going to go with uh, 7.9 authentic New York slices because there's the Sabaro uh, pizza place. And it just made me think of The Office where it's his, uh, Michael Scott's favorite place to get an authentic New York slice. <laughs> Wait, when was Sabaro in this doc? It was like right at the beginning, oh. like one of the first scenes. And it was just like this huge Sabaro. And I just couldn't stop laughing. That's so good. 
So it was between between that and honorable mention uh, is the crotch shot that the Georgetown guy got when he, when they were rushing on to, uh, into the Madison Square Garden for the, like the last game or whatever, and there's this Georgetown fan that like runs and then he turns around and just like you know does the crotch shot um, like gesture to everybody else that was still in line to get in. Oh, I saw that. That's hilarious. <laughs> like the guy, like the assistant coach in uh, Wisconsin to the Bro, Wisconsin, yeah, yeah. There was also a scene where. You remember the scene where the reporter gets super mad that the fans like rushing by him and he like shoves him almost. Yeah. And I'm like, that wouldn't fly today. Like if, no. if Ren did that today, that'd be Ray Clayton. <laughs> yeah, no, that wouldn't fly. I feel like that still does happen. Like even one of my coworkers a couple days, like a couple weeks ago, had some. I mean, it wasn't as aggressively shoving, but there were people flicking up, flicking up uh, the camera behind him and like. So he had to like elbow the guy out, but like it still happens. And so I, when I saw that, I was like, "Let's go!" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. All right. Uh, let's see. Six point seven six average, which ranks it twenty seventh out of fifty six we've reviewed so far. It's about right in the middle. I kind of am craving because we've been doing so many middling ratings. I'm craving for like a terrible one or like. Preferably like an amazing, like perfect one, but uh, we'll see. Same here. I kind of want to go back and re-listen to our the Sixteenth Man one and just hear us rave about it for. <laughs> yeah, oh, so good. <laughs> uh, all right, let's get to our Mount Rushmore. We're doing sports time travel destinations. Um, Going back in time, going to a sporting event, however you want to describe it. Um, and we're going to do a cutoff at two, year 2000, so it can't be something super recent. Um, yeah, basically that's it. Top four, I go first, then Sam, then Nick. And since I go first, I'm going to play this strategically. And I'm going to go 1998 Michael Jordan NBA Finals. Oh. The the goat getting his sixth ring and i feel like that this was on everyone's list and i mean i definitely have thought so many times that i just wish i could have seen him and appreciated him play obviously i was alive in 98 i was four but um and then he probably i guess he played another you know a little bit but that didn't really count <laughs> but um yeah i wish i could have seen that to be there i mean that would be amazing just to experience what Bulls mania was like back in the day, like how in love every sports fan and non-sports fan was with Michael Jordan and the Bulls would have been so fun. Like I remember being, I don't know, four or five years old and like walking into my cousin's room. My, my cousin was three years older than me and he just had like MJ stuff all over. And I thought it was so cool. Even though I didn't understand his significance really at the time, but that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, he's just, he was just so famous too. Like, and nowadays there's people, so many people that are worldwide famous, but I feel like this was like unique that hasn't been matched. Definitely. And the NBA all-star game, did you guys see they honored like the 75 best NBA players of all time? Yeah. And they were talking about how, like when MJ walked in, like the whole room was just different. Like, cause everyone just respects him on a whole other level, you know? 
Yeah. Even like the greats, like 74 other people, not everyone was there, obviously, but everyone just like knows that he's the, the man. So it would have been cool to see him in his prime. That was definitely high on my list. All right. I am going to. I'm going to take this one. I'm shocked that Ren didn't go with this one. Oh, no. I'm going to go Miracle on Ice. Oh. Yeah. That was, I wrote that one down. And I was like, Ren's taking that first pick, guaranteed. I honestly didn't have it on there. I forgot. Wow. wow. But yeah. even if I did, I would have taken it first just because I was trying to take MJ off the board. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> See, my thought was you were going to take Miracle on Ice and I was going to sneak in and steal in the mj finals <laughs> and then i'm just third yeah you're just third <laughs> yeah who cares <laughs> um all right so i got two in a row i'm gonna go first with the 1936 olympics with jesse owens uh in berlin just yeah. giving the middle finger right to adolf hitler yeah that's that guy right that gesture and been warranted for it Love it. Sorry, I was thinking it was a national one, national strategic one, but it's a local one just against Ren. So I'm going to go with the 91 World Series with Kirby Puckett. No! <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that was my next pick. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> what a game that would have been, or would have been to be at. What an experience. And, and that World Series was is regarded as one of the best because like i think four of the games were one run games and went all seven it was like one of the most dramatic world series yeah yeah that was, that was so cool okay but i was dead back then so <laughs> new idea once we get through all these documentaries we should just go through and watch all these classic old games and discuss them oh yeah that'd be fun totally okay like the classic quotes you know do you believe in miracles the with the twins one um you know what, what the heck did he say or well there's a couple there's like twins are gonna win the world series like that one you hear in minnesota you hear that fight all the time but yeah no that'd be amazing just go on youtube and watch old videos yeah mm-hmm. would be well we got a ways to go so <laughs> focus on this for now plans for the future later you better write it down or else we'll forget by then. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. I'm going to go with one that's near and dear to my heart. I'm going to go with uh, Jimmy V's ESPY speech. I would die to be in that audience to hear that speech. I've watched that speech probably a dozen times at least in, 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 in its entirety. And every single time it either gets me fired up or emotional or whatever it may be. And now that, like we know a little bit more of the background um, of Jimmy V because of Survive in Advance, I think was the doc that we watched that he was in. Yeah. Uh, I, and like more has just come to light with um, Dickie, Dickie V, you know, talking about that night and how rough of shape he was in and still being able to be that charismatic and amazing on stage is something I would love to have been there for. Yeah, that's sick. That'd be awesome. All right. Um, I'm going to go Tiger's first Masters win in 1997. Um, still in the 90s. <laughs> um, I mean, his coming out party, basically. Not his first win. His first major, though. Um, first of many. He won by 12 strokes. Like, insane. 
Um, basically, they changed Augusta National, Tiger Proof it after that because he just destroyed the course in the field. He was 21 years old. Just the start of the GOATs run at, at destroying golf, basically dominating golf. Just iconic or amazing to witness that iconic moment. How did uh, Augusta change the course? They Well, they basically lengthened it. They moved the tees back and stuff like that. Things that people still do today to courses as, you know, the game keeps evolving. But, um, like, he was just, you know, so – I mean, he was just so much better than everybody with his distance, you know, hitting it straight. And so he just kind of took apart Augusta National <laughs> as his 21-year-old. That's crazy at 21 years old. Um, what do I have? I'm going to say – and I've thought about this a lot. I'm, I'm not a boxing fan. I'm not really a, you know, like a um, combat sports fan in general. I'll watch it sometimes, but not really much. I'm going to say Muhammad Ali, a fight of his, a, a title fight of his. I don't even have one picked out. I'm kind of lazy. But he's so many of your favorite athletes, favorite athlete. And I don't know. He's just such an iconic figure for so many reasons. We watched the documentary on him and all this stuff. Um, and he's just revered by everybody. He was, you know, just a legend in so many ways. And I feel like there's been no boxer that's really had the level of fame and dominance at, at his certain time that, that he did, his peak, I guess. Um, so, yeah, just one of his fights. Uh, I would love to see that. And, and I'm not really a boxing nerd or anything. Any of his fights that weren't uh, Muhammad and Larry? And Larry, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly um okay i am gonna go with i'm gonna bring us back to 1982 for a little thing that's known as the play stanford versus california the announcer yells the band is on the field and it's one of the most epic plays in ncaa and sports history so it would have been fun to have witnessed that live and just to could you imagine the mayhem of like being in the crowd and being like wait, did they score? Did that actually count? What just happened? And like the, I'm sure the refs were trying to get like everything settled down so they could make this official call. And I can't imagine how nuts it was. There's a, there's a YouTube video that I feel like you see across YouTube suggested frequently that, that is iconic. When did you say that was me? 1982. Well, first off, I'm just going to go with, uh, the one that was just covered in this doc, I think the UNC Georgetown game would have been sweet to be at coming down, kind of the coming out party for MJ uh, when he was in, in in college there. But just uh, the, you know, two heavyweights and seeing that game go down right to the end as well uh, in the final four. That would have been really nice, yeah. crazy one to, to be at as well. That wasn't the championship, right? That was just final four. That was just the final four, yeah. And then... Uh, um, and then last one for me, I'm going to go with the 1972 Munich uh, Olympics with Steve Prefontaine running the 5K. Dang it, Rudy. <laughs> that was number one on my list. Snipe and Sam. Oh, number one on your list, but you let it you let it drop. I just thought it was such a niche. I was like, there's a chance Rudy picks it, but I just felt it was a long shot. Yeah, if it was just me and you doing it, it would, it would be no risk. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> no that's that's a really good one and it's portrayed super well in the movies that are about him either prefontaine or without limits yeah i haven't watched those in uh in 
too long. So I got to, I was just thinking when I was you know reminiscing here, I'm like, oh man, I got to look that up or find a way to watch that sometime. Actually, that should be a doc wish list thing. Steve Prefontaine was the freaking man. Yeah. And yeah, they portray it so well in those movies because they're like, he's going to sprint from 600 meters out. But it's, and nobody except running nerds. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Stay tuned in a little bit for our next segment. <laughs> <laughs> Last pick. So I actually went on YouTube and uh, watched the clip of this. So I was trying to think of the coolest moments to have witnessed. And when I think of like stats or big moments in sports, I think of baseball and like the home run, right? We kind of got to witness it with Barry Bonds uh, when we were kids and how crazy it was when he hit like 72 or was it 72 or 73? And then also when he went on to set the the all-time record, but um, there's a clip on YouTube of Vin Scully calling Hank Aaron's 715th homer. And it's, it's really awesome. Dang. The crowd's going wild. It's just such a big moment. And he passes Babe Ruth, who is, you know, arguably like the biggest name in all of sports, especially at that time. Um, and so there is so much significance to it with race and how in- incredible of a moment it was for, for baseball and people in general. So I- I'm going to go with that one. Yeah, I kind of had similar thoughts. I was thinking like maybe a Babe Ruth, maybe Hank Aaron, but then I was like, I, I narrowed it down to like my baseball pick was going to be the Twins. But but yeah, like I was also trying to think about home runs and and I didn't want to pick any of the steroid era, you know, those Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire run, you know, in the same season. But yeah, Hank Aaron, I mean, he's just a legend. Um, it was on my list too, most definitely. On my birthday, it happened. Hey. Place, what, 1974? Well, my last pick is going to be April 6th, but nine, or 1896. Just the first modern Olympic Games was on April 8th. Weirdly, April. I mean, their summer games aren't that nowadays, but, um, you know, the Olympics, whatever, were the, um, the ancient ancient Greeks um, tournaments and then they were they started becoming what they are today in 191896 um, that was in Athens and uh, it was a start of I mean we've covered that I'm obsessed with the Olympics I think it's such a special thing you know bringing all these countries together in sports and the start of it the first one would have been cool to go back. Uh, a long time ago to go see. I have a, a question about that. So Hannah, when we were going over this, she was like, well, wouldn't like the first Olympics, shouldn't that be high on your list? And I said no, because I think it would be super underwhelming to go back because you would show up and it would be like the Olympics is such a big deal now. And back then it was literally like it would be smaller than like a junior high meet at <laughs> local high school now that you would cover. Oh, it wouldn't. I mean, yeah, it would be underwhelming, but it would, it would still be, it would still have the, some of the cool factors, you know, uh, the yeah. countries and things like that. But now that you mention it, like people would be running so much slower. <laughs> Hannah's like, would you want to go 
do that, and I was like, what? Watch people run who I could beat right now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dang. <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> no, it's true, though. It's just, it's uh, funny to think about. And what like, year is that? 1996. And so. it's just funny how big of a deal, like, the Olympics has become and stuff. But, like, back then, you, nobody realized how big. I mean, I'm sure it was, a, like, a significant thing. But they didn't realize how big of a deal it was going to eventually be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That was my argument against it. So I just wanted to get your thoughts. Hannah, good wavelength. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we did Mount Rushmore of sports time travel destinations. Ren with the first overall pick stole 1998 MJ finals from me. That one hurt. Uh, Rudy, or then he went with Tiger's first Masters dominating win. Muhammad, any Muhammad Ali title fight. And then the 1896 Athens Olympics. Um, I went with Miracle on Ice, Jimmy V's SB speech, the play, the band is on the field, Stanford versus Cal, uh, Cal in 1984. And then uh, Hank Aaron's 715th homer passing Babe Ruth. Rudy went with 1936 Jesse Owens sticking it to Hitler in the Berlin Olympics, 1991 World Series, uh, Kirby Puckett, that one hurt Ren. UNC versus Georgetown, Final Four. And then 1972, Steve Freefontaine, Munich Olympic 5K, where he takes a disappointing fourth. Spoiler alert. Dang, I was going to watch All right, can I run <laughs> over the Olympic results from the first Olympics? Have you looked yeah. at this? No, Please I haven't. 100-meter dash, gold medal, 12 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Four, 400 meter dash 54 seconds wait these are all round numbers because <laughs> they're timers <laughs> uh 54.2 12 was the oh, even okay. <laughs> uh, 800 was 211 1500 is 433 and the marathon was 258 that's amazing. Rudy literally ran 20 minutes faster than that. <laughs> <laughs> you should be an Olympic gold medalist. I was just born in the wrong time. <laughs> that's my new, I was going to move my new calling card, I think. <laughs> well, that's like what I was telling you guys. Uh, one of my doc wish lists from a long time ago was about like the 1904 Olympics in St. Louis, the marathon. Yeah. I remember like they were fueling with like, uh, what was it? It was like rat poison and bourbon like somebody took because they thought it helped their performance. It like had people went to the hospital. One person cheated to get to the finish line and was disqualified. Like so ridiculous. One person showed up and like had to run in like a suit because he lost all his money and clothes like gambling and no longer. That's so funny. So do you think you guys could beat though like that marathon time like you said nick already did but like if you were wearing the kind of shoes they were and on the track they were or or is the big factor just modern physical how, how people are nowadays it's probably a combination right uh, i mean if rudy and i put that stuff on and still trained the same way that we did we could probably run 258 yeah but we know so much more about training and about nutrition mm -hmm. and about hydration and sh we have modern shoes and 
yeah like all of those things take like minutes and minutes and minutes off you know Mm -hmm. especially over the course of like we've been running competitively for what like 15 years now Rudy and like yeah doing it the right way over time pays off right and it's probably like these guys were just I don't know average Joe's probably that you know they just picked up running and and uh you know saw what they could do but there was no guidance or no precedent set um I don't think distance running was well I don't know how big track was I guess way back then but you know especially distance running to the level of a marathon but yeah but hey Ren gets to be there to watch it all in 1896 yeah I might I might and enter if they'll let me (laughs) (laughs) Ren Clayton in every event no Uh, um, I have an honorable mention that I just thought of that first game that they where they played basketball with the with the baskets like that would be sick in that gym remember yeah that would have been cool or just hearing like the kid who's like, "Hey, Doctor Naismith, can we uh, cut out the bottom of these yeah baskets? <laughs> these peach baskets? Yeah." He's like, "Wow, that's brilliant!" Then it, the ball just falls through. <laughs> I really don't want to get on the ladder again. <laughs> <laughs> Someday somebody will pay millions of dollars for the this rules thing that's up hanging on this wall. Yeah, some really really uh, one track minded person will spend years. <laughs> I was listening to the radio this week and they referenced that um, they were talking about like college basketball places that you want to be um, or go to. And they're talking about um, Allen Fieldhouse and someone's like, oh, yeah, I think the, the rules of basketball are there. I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about it. <laughs> That's actually funny you mentioned that because I, I was talking to actually one of the other sports anchors in town the other day, uh, yesterday, and she was talking about basketball in, in the East Coast because that's where she's from. And we're talking about Rebecca Lobo, who hosted this press conference I went to. And she played there in the East Coast. And I was like, oh, that's that was in the old Big East. And she's like, oh, yeah, the old Big East. And I was like, yes, I literally just watched this last night, <laughs> this <laughs> documentary. <laughs> you seem so smart. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah. All right, let's get to our next and last segment, which is our documentary wish list. Nick, uh, do you have one, a documentary you'd like made in the future? Yeah. Um, So I'm going kind of off the wall here. I want a documentary about, like, uh, about, I guess, the sport of wrestling. Um, But then how... You know, it's it's unlike other sports, like um, you know, where there's like, what what do you do after college as a as a really good wrestler, and you know, it's kind of I mean, you go to the WWE now. I guess you could also go MMA, but uh, I feel like WWE is more of a a showmanship, uh, you know, kind of entertainment thing. So it's kind of interesting that um, that that's I, I've always felt like you know you go through college with wrestling, and then you just kind of you know reach the peak, and then you're done um and and sure wwe is there i'm not a big wwe watcher so i can't uh, that doesn't seem like the most appealing option to me it's not like um you know as i guess true to sport as nfl might be or something anything yeah yeah so i guess um so i would highlight kind of 
you know, the whole wrestling, you know, deal going on to that, then what is it like to transition to the WWE? Um, if I'm, if I'm creating the doc, I'm probably making, uh, Brock Lesnar, like the main dude, um, just because he, you know, built, built that bridge so well. He was such a good wrestler for the Gophers, um, national champion. And then has been really successful in a couple of different areas. I think that if MMA were around when he graduated, I think he could have been like just dynamite in the MMA, realm he was he got into it late or when he was um older at least but um but yeah just kind of i've always felt that that sport's a little different as far as you know collegiate sports and then and then it just kind of drops off from there yeah i agree it's it is interesting what to see what route these guys take when they're early like you could even focus on gable stevenson who's also the gophers right now you know one at the olympics you know and so that is the route where probably you get the most pure athletic prestige is if you can win at the Olympic games as a wrestler and then, yeah, then what? And you can go to the WWE like Stevenson is gonna, but yeah, I mean, it's not, WWE is not a, to me, it's, you know, it's more acting than sports, but right. don't, don't let the fans hear you. Uh, anyway, but no, but yeah, it is a really unique for something that's so high level in college and so popular in, in, in its fan base to not have like a next, like a pro league or pro circuit or pro tour. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's interesting. And I feel like the Olympic games, I, I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like it's not that um, common to have them continue on. Like I, I think Abel has said this was the one Olympic games that he was going to do. And oh, so, I yeah. yeah, unless I'm remembering wrong, which I very well could be, but I, I thought he said that before too. So it's just, interesting i guess completely different world yeah all right very good um let's go on sam do you have a what we're gonna watch this coming week and review in our next podcast i do (laughs) bad boys oh yeah all right bad boys a look back at the Detroit Pistons of the late 1980s and early 1990s, narrated by rapper Kid Rock, a native of nearby Romeo, Michigan. It's two hours in length. It's episode 61, so we've officially done two sets of 30 with a couple exceptions. And uh, I'm excited. I've seen this one before. Have you guys? No, I've not seen it, but it's uh, another basketball, some elbows flying. <laughs> Like we just saw. Oh, absolutely. To learn about those Pistons teams that uh, the 98 Jordan at the face again. So they had Kid Rock voice it as a, as a Michigan guy, Michigan rapper. Why wouldn't they have had the best rapper from Michigan voice it? Like, what the heck? That's true. A little Eminem. Yeah, come on. Maybe he's in Bad Boys too, because I think there's a second one as well. Oh, okay. No, he probably just didn't want to do it. Probably true. He's gonna lose himself in the moment, you know. Oh yeah, in the music. <laughs> Very good. Um, we will talk to you later. <laughs>